From him who gives us his name, and from him who guards us and keeps us in that name, come all grace, mercy, and peace to each of you today. Amen. In his book, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome, E. Stanley Jones writes this about prayer. Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Perhaps this is why so many people have trouble praying. Hopefully, we pray in our daily lives. We know that we pray multiple times here at church, throughout our worship service. Prayer is an important piece of our faith life. But what is prayer? What is it that we pray for? Are we praying to try to pull God to our will? Or are we praying in such a way that aligns our will with the will of God? Praying for the good things, the necessary things, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of God's kingdom. Prayer is a communication of our needs with our Father. More importantly, through faith, we pray to our loving Father and we show our dependency upon Him to meet our needs. But prayer is not a formula. Prayer is not rote. It's not routine. At its core, prayer is about love. The love and respect that we should have for our Father and the, and the mutual love and respect that the Father and the Son have for us. We know our Lord prayed. He taught His disciples how to pray in the simple prayer of the Lord's Prayer. He prayed in a garden until He sweated blood. And he prayed some more in the night before his crucifixion, which is where we hear a glimpse of his prayer in our gospel lesson today. But before we hear this middle portion of his prayer, let me set the scene for you because it makes Jesus' prayer that much more eye-opening. It's the eve before his crucifixion. And shortly after this prayer, he's going to encounter betrayal and trial and condemnation, and beating, and execution. And yet, here He is, just finishing speaking to the disciples when He lifts His eyes to the heavens and begins His high priestly prayer, which we catch midstream right now. Holy Father, keep them in Your name, which You have given Me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in Your name which you have given me. We stop here for a moment. I stop here in this portion of his prayer for one reason alone. Do you realize what Jesus is praying? Do you know what he's praying for? Or, or better yet, do you realize who he's praying for? I just set the scene. Shouldn't Jesus be praying for himself right now? Knowing what he's going to face? And who's he praying for? Amidst everything he's about to face, he stops and he prays for those that he loves. Doesn't pray for God to remove him from the scene. <laughs> he doesn't pray for, for his well-being. He prays for those that he loves. How powerful is that? 
Wow. Again, prayer is about love. This portion of Jesus' prayer shows us several other things as well. It shows us the act of lavish giving. That Jesus and God are mutual givers. Jesus talks about us being given by the Father to Him earlier in this prayer. He talks about the name the Father gave Him and the Word that He gave us. God and Jesus, mutual givers. And because of that giving then, we, as those who belong to God, who belong to Jesus, have inherited God's grace because of the mutual giving, Father and Son are one. And as the Father and Son are mutual givers, then the things that they give have great importance. Jesus speaks to the name the Father has given Him, of which Jesus then in turn gives you and I. By this name, we have our sense of value and belonging. But also, having been given the name of Jesus in which we have our sense of belonging, we also have been given the knowledge of God. The knowledge of His name. In Jesus 17.6, Jesus pray, or John 17.6, Jesus prays, I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. Yours they were, and You gave them to Me, and they have kept Your Word. Knowing God's name means knowing fear. I'm not talking about fear in the run-and-hide senses as if God is some horrible monster. I'm talking about in the filial sense. Think of a relationship that a, a parent has with their child, or rather reverse, the child has with their parent. This great relationship, but you always have the fear of breaking that relationship, of the first time you do something wrong, of that joy being taken away. That's the kind of fear that God's name invokes. It also invokes that, you know, to those who don't know God, that fear of destruction. Because that's the God we have. A jealous God. One who cares about His creation. Who's jealous about His creation. Who doesn't want His creation to have any other God. Knowing God's name means holiness. Knowing that God is Creator, Almighty, loving, trustworthy of keeping His promises. God's name then encompasses all that He has done. Especially in the life and the death and the resurrection of His Son Christ Jesus, our Savior. Knowing God's name means that we then align our will, our lives, with God's will. To be protected and guarded in that name. And Jesus prays, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. How precious is that name? How honorable is that name? How holy is that name? Another thing that's been given is the Word of God. Jesus has only given the words which were given to Him by His Father. Yet those words are so powerful, they are life-giving. They bring people into God's family as God's children. Through God's Word, one believes in faith in Christ Jesus as the One whom God has sent. And these are wonderful things that we as His children receive. It's all because of the mutual sharing and giving through the abundant love of Father and Son. 
for Jesus to pray this prayer amidst all that he's facing, all that he must suffer, shows that love and concern and oneness with the Father. And Jesus prays, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. But I want you to know something else that Jesus prays for, or rather, should I say, that he doesn't pray for. As Jesus prays, he says that he is no longer in the world, but those he loves are still in the world. He says that he's been given those he loves God's word. And the world has hated those he loves because they are not of the world, just as Jesus is not of the world. And now Jesus prays this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Kind of seems contradictory to love, that Jesus wouldn't remove us from a situation, but prays for us to be guarded while we're in the world to be kept from the evil one rather than be removed from it at all. If Jesus is praying for those He loves, and if He really loves us, why wouldn't He take us out of the world? Why leave the ones He loves in the world? Well, for that, we need to understand that the world is two things. The world is, on the one hand, God's creation. The creation that He so loves that He so loves that He gives His only Son to die for it. And on the other hand, the world is is that place that doesn't know God, that rejects His Word, and all those who believe in His Word. And it's for that reason, precisely why Jesus doesn't pray to His Father to remove those He loves from the world. Just as God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to die to the world, sent Him into the world for that purpose, so that all who believe in Him have eternal life, so Jesus sends those He loves into the world to continue His mission. And thus Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Jesus' prayer is amazing on so many fronts. And of all the things that He could pray for, amidst all that He's facing, He prays for those He loves. Because He knows the world is going to be hard on those that He's departing from. Jesus is honest. He doesn't hide that fact. He doesn't sugarcoat things and tell those He leaves behind, oh, it's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. right? It's going to be an easy path. No. He knows it's going to be hard on those He leaves behind. But remember, He and the Father are mutual givers. He prays for those He loves. And He guards them. He prays for them to be protected from the evil. He tells us that we're not going to be alone. On Pentecost, He fills His people that He loves with the Holy Spirit to guard them, to guide them, to keep them in His ways. He prays the truth because, well, quite honestly, Jesus is the truth. And He's not in this world. Unfortunately, my friends, while we are believers and we're not supposed to be of this world, we still live in this world. We're saints and sinners at the same time, which means that oftentimes we either don't pray or we pray for all the wrong things. Maybe we pray in such a selfish manner rather than stopping and doing what Jesus does, praying for those He loves. 
Have you ever had another person pray for you that you were aware of it? Like somebody just come up to you and go, I'm going to pray for you today. Right? We know that we have prayer chains here at church. We have prayer warriors. Blessed prayer warriors who pray on our behalf for our needs and things of that nature. We pray in our prayer list or in our prayers and whatnot. But somebody to come up to you and specifically pray for you. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. About a year ago, one of my coworkers named Erica stopped in to see me. I didn't know she was leaving the Haven yet to go to another job. But she stops in my office and says, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. She says, I, I woke up this morning. The Lord laid in on my heart to pray for you. She says, I know that you're going to face a lot of things coming up here, and I don't know what they're going to be, but I know it's going to be hard, and it's probably been hard on you, and I want to stop right now and pray for you. I thought, wow, that's powerful. I mean, it brought me to tears right there in my office, and, and she laid her hands on me and prayed for me and everything else, and it just gave me this sense of peace. Well, about a month goes by after she left. She calls me out of the blue. Didn't, wouldn't give me a return number or anything. They just called me out of the blue. Says, I'm your prayer warrior. I haven't forgotten about you, and I haven't forgotten about the haven either. Praying for you all. I thought, how powerful is that? For somebody else, and she's got her own problems going on, to stop midstream to pray for somebody other than herself. How powerful is that? And what are the things that we pray for sometimes? Sometimes we pray in a manner that wants to bend God's will towards our will. To give us those things that we need. Sometimes we pray that God remove us from a situation. I can tell you, I stopped doing that recently. right? I realized that we're not getting out of this world or off this rock until He decides. So I started saying, God, rather than remove these things, give me the strength to get through it. Help me to realize that these situations and these hardships that we face are an opportunity to take your light into the world to spread your word. And help me, Father, lay it on my heart to pray for these things, to pray for the benefit of your kingdom, to pray for the people in our flock, to pray about our pastoral candidacy situation. How often do you pray throughout the day? What does your prayer life look like? We need to be uplifted and comforted in these prayers because the prayers are about love, not selfishness. And Jesus prays for us. That's the key to it all. They don't go on deaf ears. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He prays for us. How awesome is that to know that we have a Savior that does that for us rather than just praying out into the wide blue yonder? The Savior that intercedes, that doesn't ever stop. Through His prayers, Jesus pulls us to Him. If we truly know that name in which we prayed in, if we truly know who we belong to, if we know the Word that Jesus has given, then in aligning ourselves to God's will, we move forward together to do His work. And it also means that we pray for people, for communities, for nations, and yes, ourselves, but in accordance with the work and ministry of Jesus. We've got to remember, it's not our will, it's His will. And aligning ourselves with Him means surrendering to that will. Jesus prays, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may be sanctified in the truth. 
And then if you go a few verses beyond that, verses 20 and 21, Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in Me through their word. So Jesus prayed for the apostles. The apostles shared their testimony with others and others believed right up to today. Right up to today, as people were still believing and hearing the testimony through our witness being brought to the baptismal font. then that means then that Jesus also prays for us. It wasn't a one-off all those years ago. He continues to pray. And that means through His Word and sacrament, through His prayers guided by the Holy Spirit, we're enabled to continue to do His work. Living in His grace and taking His grace to those who so desperately need it. True prayer is love because of the mutual love of God and Jesus. And will you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we pray that our our will would always be aligned with Yours. We pray, Father, that You would guard us and keep us in the truth and in the Word that is Your Son, Christ Jesus. And as You and Your Son are mutual givers with us, may we be mutual givers with all of creation so that all of creation can live and bask in the grace and glory that is Yours and Yours alone. And may all that we do glorify You in Jesus' name. Amen.